The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. One thing that can sour a sweet action is an impure motive. You remember in John chapter 6 when the crowds sought Jesus the day after he miraculously fed them? They crossed the Sea of Galilee to find him, uh, to find him and when they did, he didn't praise them. Say, it's good to seek Jesus. Sure, it's wonderful. But Jesus knew their motives and he called them out and he exposed their impure reasoning because he knew they were not looking for him because they trusted him, because they understood the sign of the previous day when he fed them miraculously. They didn't seek him because they wanted to hear the truth. They only wanted another free meal. And Jesus was not okay with that because motives do matter. Motives can turn a good action bad. And there's one very good action, one very good blessing that we have. It's a privilege to pray. It is truly incredible that we have an audience with the creator of the universe when we pray. That's not the main point of the sermon necessarily and to go into those amazing, amazing depths, but I hope we know that and I hope we take advantage of the power and the privilege of prayer. But as good as prayer is, it too can be done in a way that doesn't please God at all. If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we will see Jesus caution us and warn us about using specifically our private prayers in the wrong way or for the wrong reasons because motives do matter. So Matthew 6, our focus this morning is that when we pray, we should pray to receive the peace of God, not the praise of men. So our main text will be verse 5 and 6, but I want to read from verse 1 all the way through verse 15. Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Back in the first four verses, Jesus cautioned us not to practice righteous deeds in order to be seen by other people. And that simple warning searches our hearts because it, it searches our motives and our reason behind doing things. It does not mean that if someone sees you doing something good, then you're wrong and you shouldn't have done it. So, boy, that's, that's going to be tough to live for the Lord then. It does not mean that every good thing you do must be kept secret. Earlier in this same sermon, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. But do you remember the end of that verse? That they may glorify your Father who is in heaven, not that they may glorify you. So it's about motive. Now if you go out of your way to make a big announcement about whatever good thing you're about to do, if we use Jesus' words in these first four verses, if you go sound a trumpet, look at me, you know, look what I'm about to do, I'm pretty sure where your motives lie. You obviously find some pleasure in being seen. You wanted to make sure that others knew what you were going to do so that you could receive some praise rather than them just maybe seeing you, maybe not, and praising God. And that was a problem in ancient Israel. It's still a problem today. Right? Men's hearts don't change. There was a time in Jesus' life, it was in John chapter 5, where he's talking to some religious leaders. We call them Pharisees. They refused to believe in him, and he said this, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? If we only seek glory from men, that will hurt our trust in the Lord. That will put a barrier there. So in these first four verses here, Jesus challenged our motives. And we won't go any further into these first four verses. But they do, they set the scene for this, these verses about prayer because the same principle applies that our motivation needs to be for God's glory, not our own. So in verse 5 and 6, these verses describe what we might call private prayer. These are prayers between you and God. It's different than public worship. It's different than leading a group in prayer. We've had several public prayers today. There was nothing wrong with that. We'll talk more about that next week, um, Lord willing. But in these first two verses here, in verse 5 and 6, we're talking more about your own prayers. And he mentions people that pray like that that are hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Our English word hypocrite sounds very similar to the Greek word. The Greek word originated in what we would call the theater world. And it described the actors and actresses who put on a play. So what does an actor do? He pretends. He pretends to be something he's not, right? And in the ancient uh, Greek theater world, a lot of times they would put masks on their faces. We still have, you know, theater, and they, they put on costumes and makeup and different things because they're playing a part. And that's what the idea of this word, is that the person is, the person on stage, they're portraying someone they're not. They're just pretending. They're putting on a show. And that's the idea of the word hypocrite. It is a pretender. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with acting in a play, okay? That's fine. But in the real world, it is wrong to be a pretender, a hypocrite, as opposed to just being a genuine person. So a hypocrite is a disingenuous pretender. And in this context specifically, the hypocrite pretends to be very religious and very spiritual about his or her prayer life. But in reality, it's a sham. The hypocrite's mistake is that he has an impure motive or an impure reason for praying. If you look in verse 5, you can see that he's not praying because he trusts God. He wants to confess sin. He wants to have fellowship with the Lord. He prays, look in verse 5, that he may be seen by others. That's his motivation. When he's in the synagogue, Jesus says, he makes sure that he stands to pray. Everybody else might be sitting down praying quietly. He's going to stand up. And Jews typically prayed with their hands like this. We, we kind of think of this as a, a prayer posture. For them, it was opening their hands. So you see somebody in the synagogue, oh, oh Lord. Well, he's obviously praying. He even mentions that this man is so starved for attention that he doesn't even limit those prayers to what we might call a church service. He'll do that on the street corner, out in the marketplace. Just, oh, Lord. Say, well, is it wrong to pray? I thought prayer's good. Prayer is good. But if you pray your private prayers to the Lord out in public like that, only to be seen of other people... Those prayers don't get past the ceiling. So Jesus taught in verse 6 that private prayer should be private. Okay? The, the answer is, well, I'm just not going to pray at all. I don't want to pray for the wrong reason. <laughs> well, so I just won't pray. Look at verse 6 again. But when you pray, see, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One way to ensure that your motivation for praying is pure and not just to attract attention is to just go somewhere quiet, just to go somewhere alone. The word room in the ESV is that um, the King James famously translates it as closet. It referred to either a, a storeroom or maybe an, in, an interior room of a house that wouldn't have any windows. It was just a very isolated place, and that's the point. It's just you and God. doesn't mean you can't pray in a room that has a window in it. It doesn't mean you can't pray outdoors. Jesus wasn't giving us a legalistic spot to pray that, that I do literally have to go into my closet to pray. It's fine if you want to. Jesus' point was that private prayers are exactly that. They are private. They are between you and God. They don't involve the public. So rather than drawing attention to yourself just to make yourself look good like the hypocrites did, do the opposite and just be alone with God. Don't even post on Facebook, excuse me, I'm about to have an hour of prayer, so please don't message me. No, don't do that. Just pray. Just be alone with God. And God will reward you. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 4, 
We're going to look at a few verses there in just a minute. And I think we'll see one of these rewards that you'll get. But before we look into Philippians 4, I think there's a, a public situation, just an illustration for our day and time that, that's asked about a lot when we talk about praying in public and things like that. And that's, should you pray before a meal at a public restaurant? Is it right? Is it wrong? It depends. It depends at least on your motive and your method. If you are humble, thankful for your food, and you bow your head and say a quick, quiet blessing at your table, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. You're not doing that to be seen. You're not making a show about it. But if you don't say one, that's okay too. You're not a heretic and a heathen and a pagan. Doesn't mean you're unthankful. Sometimes when dad and I eat lunch together, we'll look at each other and say, are we thankful? Yep, let's go then. But if I eat lunch with my mom, we say a quiet prayer. Sometimes I, I will just, I'm not offended one way or the other, and I will do what the other person wants, but we're not going to make a big show of it. That's what you definitely don't want to do. I want to share a quick story. I, I think I shared this with the high schoolers a few weeks ago. This is a true story. I was not involved in this. I wasn't a part of it, but this is a true story. One time a group of preachers were eating at a restaurant together, and before they ate, one of them stood up and announced to the entire restaurant, <clears throat> we're a group of preachers eating lunch over here, and we are about to bless our food and pray, so if you all will put your forks down for just a moment and show us some respect, we'd appreciate that, and they prayed. True story. That is exactly the thing Jesus warned us about is to make a public show of your prayers. So if you want to say a blessing at a restaurant, that's wonderful. But just don't bang on your glass with your knife before you do it so everybody else gets quiet. Just pray at your table quietly. I don't know. We laugh, but that's a true story. Jesus' point is not that we should not pray and not that even always praying in public is wrong. And we'll see next week, he, he transitions into public prayer. We'll look at some more of that. But these are more about your private prayers. If you pray personally, just to be seen of other people and grab their attention, that's the only reward you get. I do think it's interesting that Jesus said um, that they do have a reward. It's not that you don't have a reward. But the reward is just other people saw you. That's, that's a pretty shallow reward is that maybe the opinion of other people about you is elevated. Who cares? That's all you have. It's much better, though, to be commended by God than complimented by people. If you pray privately with God, Jesus says you'll be rewarded for that. Now, maybe that's some sort of reward when Jesus returns for faithfulness, obedience, and fellowship. I have no problem with that. But if we limit it to some future reward, I think we're going to miss out on the power of prayer and, and something that it provides us now. And I think Paul mentions that in Philippians 4. There's some immediate reward and blessings when you pray to God. Let's look at Philippians 4, and we'll read verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think it's interesting that Paul began this short section about prayer with this idea of anxiety and worry, which Jesus also addressed in the Sermon on the Mount that we read earlier in the service. Here, Paul commanded us not to worry or not to be anxious about anything. And it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It was not his opinion about how we should live. It's a forceful command. Like most other commands in Scripture, though, we sometimes fail to obey them. And it's easy for us to understand why sometimes we fail to obey this one. Life is tough. We face trials. We know, uh, we know things that could happen, things that might happen, things that are, that are coming up. And we understand how, how worry and anxiety can, can affect us. We live in a world that's filled with war and sickness and hunger and family problems and economic problems and you name it. So how are we supposed to face this world without worry? Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples on his last night? In this world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The secret's not to pretend that there aren't real issues, that there is no tribulation. Jesus said that you will have tribulation. The secret is to remember that Jesus has overcome it. Jesus is victorious. And so, since our eternity is settled in Christ, what truly is there to worry about? doesn't mean your concerns are worthless. But Jesus is more. And Paul mentions here prayer. Prayer is one of the most effective remedies against anxiety and against worry. Basically what Paul said here was don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And he described prayer in a couple different ways. He used the generic word for prayer. But if you look at this word in verse 6, supplication and you add the word request with it as well. These words definitely work together and refer to sharing your specific problems with God, pleading with Him about very, you know, very detailed things. You're being very specific in your prayers with God, specific in a way you wouldn't be in public. This is just you and God in your closet, in your room. There's nothing wrong with general prayers. Okay, it's, it's okay to say, God, help me. That's a pretty generic prayer. Nothing wrong with it. Lord, have your will done in my life today. That's a generic prayer. It's great. But here, Paul is pretty specific about us being specific. When you're alone with God, it is wonderful to get into detail. God, I really want to get into this certain college Please allow that if it's your will. God, I would love to have this specific promotion at work. You know that I have that desire. If it's your will, let that happen. Lord, I am struggling with this specific sin, and you know that, and I need your help with it. We should have the trust to say, your will be done. Here's my desires. Here are my requests. Your will be done. Why do we have to be so specific? Why should we be so specific with God? He already knows, doesn't he? 
Absolutely. I've mentioned this before. Prayer doesn't educate God. But when you are very specific, that demonstrates intimate trust. You don't get specific with people that you're not close to. The closer you are with God, I believe the more you will just pour your heart out and just be open and honest. He already knows anyway. And they're not things that you may say in front of other people. But when it's you and God, there's no pretenses. He knows. While you're pouring your heart out with whatever specific request you have, notice Paul also mentions thanksgiving. Don't neglect to be thankful. We saw this last week when we looked at Psalm 86 in David's life. David was facing a, a, a trial. It was literally a life-threatening danger. And he did specifically ask God to turn to him and be gracious and give him strength and save him. But that was in verse 16. But in verse 12, he said, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God. He thanked God even before he got into the specifics of his request, which I don't know if there's an order in that. That's okay. I'm not being legalistic about that. But he was thankful. That's my point. He was thankful. If we're facing a trial or a tough time, being thankful and remembering that we always have something to be thankful for can help our perspective, can help ease that worry and anxiety somewhat. But then look in verse 7. Some of the reward of prayer, some of the blessing from God when we pray in verse 7 is that we are promised peace. Paul wrote, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you pour your heart out to God in private prayer, you are not promised that he will grant your request. He may. He has the power, right? But he may not. When you say amen, your situation may not change one bit. But your mindset, your attitude, your heart will, because God has promised to give you his peace. To me, that's incredible. Because what this means is that his peace is not contingent upon him granting your request. It's only contingent upon you pouring your heart out. So, even if God's answer to your prayer is no, or not right now, and if it is, he knows better anyway, right? But even if God says no or not right now, he will still give you his peace. And that takes all the pressure off. When you approach God in private prayer, you don't have to keep your guard up. You don't have to put on a mask and be a hypocrite and try to pray so good that you earn his peace. Just be honest with your Savior and he will give you his peace. His peace comes because of his grace, not because you're good at praying. You say, wow, that's unbelievable, Brother Matt. I, I can't even grasp how amazing that is. Neither could Paul, right? 
He said, this is peace that surpasses understanding. I can't explain it. It goes beyond human comprehension. It's greater than anything we can imagine. I've experienced in my life during tough times a peace that I could not explain. It's hard to fathom, but it's real. It's not a false sense of security. It's not a a guarantee that your problems go away. It's the reality that God's peace guards your heart and your mind. So what is he guarding your heart and mind from? You think it's that worry and that anxiety that you were commanded not to have? Wouldn't that make sense? I feel like worry and peace seem to be mutually exclusive. Somebody who's constantly just worrying and biting their fingernails constantly, they're just, they're filled with anxiety. We wouldn't call that a peaceful person. It's much better to pray and let God's peace guard you than to worry yourself to death. I know we're not studying through Philippians, but a little background here makes this more meaningful. Philippi was a Roman colony, an official Roman colony. And as such, there was a garrison of Roman soldiers that were stationed in that city, guarding it. So this word that Paul used for guard is actually a military word that describes soldiers guarding something, protecting something. I think that would have meant a lot to the Philippians. In the same way that those soldiers protected and guarded and watched out for their city, when you pour your heart out to God, His peace will surround your heart and your mind and keep you safe from the anxiety that haunts you, the worry that's creating dread. I think that's a pretty good reward. I'd much rather have the peace of God as a reward for prayer than the praise of men. It's not even close. But notice the end of the verse. That promise is only available in Jesus Christ. Only believers in Jesus can claim this promise. And if you think about it, it's pretty logical and reasonable. How do we have peace with God? Through Jesus Christ, right? We only have peace with God through Jesus. So it makes sense that God's peace only protects us through Jesus as well. He's the mediator. He's the only one that can bring peace. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not at peace with God. You're at enmity with Him. But that can change. Because Jesus loves you and he died for you. If you'll repent and you'll trust Jesus to forgive you and save you, you'll have a peaceful relationship with your creator and your judge. For those who are saved, don't neglect private prayer. Don't neglect to communicate one-on-one with God and share your requests. One of the hymns we sang earlier said, make all my wants and wishes known. He already knows them. So you express them because that shows your trust in him. 
You'll be rewarded with God's peace. At the same time, let's not take those intimate, personal prayers that should be between just you and God and take them to the street corner. I'm going to pray out in public so people know how spiritual I am. You won't be rewarded by God's peace or with God's peace. You will only have the shallow reward of other people thinking you're better. And that's not much. So let's pray for God to help our, motivation, uh, our motives to be pure. To do things for His glory, not for ours. And that even includes prayer. Pray to receive the peace of God, not the praise of men. Let's stand. Lord willing, next week we'll look a little more at public prayer. Let's have, a, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this service. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that you'll have your will done in this invitation and in our lives, Lord. Help our motivations to be pure so that you receive glory from what we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.